Welcome to The Jesus Follower, a podcast about helping ordinary people be close to an extraordinary God. The goal? To help you experience the life you were designed to live in the good times, tough times, and in the moments that nobody else sees. Hi, everybody. Welcome into the show. My name is Andrew. This is episode 20 of The Jesus Follower. We're so excited to have been with you for this time, and we're excited for what we're going to get in here today. Daniel and I just released, on the same day, actually, May 5th, 2023, an episode about the preservation of Scripture and um, how to choose a good English translation to read today. What's up with all of these translations that we have? What are their purpose? And if you've listened to that episode, you know our pain in trying to fit that whole discussion that people have spent hundreds of thousands of hours on into about an hour and 15 minutes. So today I wanted to hop on and add a little addendum onto that episode because we only got to give a few examples of how these translations are different functionally. We explained it and I'll give a brief rundown again of how these translations are different and why they are different and also wanted to give a couple more examples uh, today, specifically from scripture as to how these translations um, practically differ. So if you have not listened to that episode yet, episode 19, go back and listen to that first. It provides a good um, reference point to where we're going to go today. But I just want to spend a few minutes and going through a few passages to both confirm to you that all of these translations are the Word of God and that you can trust your Bible that you have in your hand today. So uh, let's hop into it. For one, to review the broad picture of where we were in episode 19, when it comes to English translations today, we have a wide range of translation philosophies that uh, come into play when translating language. As you know, especially if you know another language, there's no one-to-one uh, way to translate one language to another, regardless of any language. The Bible, the New Testament, was originally written in Greek, Koine Greek, which was the language of the common people of the time. Uh, the Old Testament was largely written in Hebrew, and there's some Aramaic in both of those as well. Um, but we don't speak that today. We speak English, and um, as you can see here, and uh, Again, it's it's better uh, to view this today on video. We have video on Spotify and on YouTube. I have up before me a uh, columns a right in a row comparing these different translations that we're going to get to. But if you're looking at the screen here, you're going to see on the right side, this is the... Uh, excuse me, Society of Biblical Literature, their uh, Greek publication, that's the Greek New Testament of uh, the original language which, which it was written. And... Uh, as we can see, we can go through, we won't today, but even the word order is different. Um, there's no H's in Greek, no, um, you know, there's there's breath marks instead of H's. There's different ways to say different things. And if you know the other language, you know that's true for, for all languages. And that's kind of the nature of language is that it is fluid. So our, especially our discussion episode 19, it's centered around how can we both have a sure word of God from a God who's unchanging, and we believe the word is inerrant without error from the time that it was written until today. How can we believe that, but yet still hold to the fluency of language? So 
here's a good example of how translations might differ. We're in Romans 9, and uh, here's the way I've structured kind of the screen in front of me. For those of you who are just on audio, on the left side here, I have the New American Standard Bible. Uh, To the right of that, I have the English Standard Version, then the King James Version, and then the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible the NIV, and then the NLT. So there's six that I'm kind of uh, comparing and contrasting with, and we're not going to hit each of them on every verse that we cover. But on the left side here, we kind of see when we lean towards the uh, NASB and the ESV, those are what are known as word-for-word translations. They uh, attempt to stick to the original language as much as possible and where... uh, where there might be a decision to be made in terms of how to translate it, which is the task of translation. It comes up in every verse, as we're going to see. They would lean towards preserving the structure and the voicing of the Greek language, and sometimes that's at the expense of better English. And then on the other side, uh, NLT would be on the other end of the spectrum. The New Living Translation is a translation that is uh, more of dynamic equivalence and even uh, vary towards the side of dynamic equivalence. And that's not bad, which we'll explain, but dynamic dynamic equivalence, rather, meaning that uh, they lean into the notion that you can't get a one-for-one Greek-to-English translation. So instead of just leaving some things... um, you know, more obscure in English because they're trying to preserve the Greek wording. They're just going to go all the way and make it good English um, instead of, uh, you know, a, a more fractured English. So let's let's look at this verse, for example. We're in Romans 9 and verse, um, verse 6, excuse me. Verse 6 says, and I'll read from the NASB first, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. So this is a really uh, tricky section of Scripture, theologically speaking. What does it mean that uh, they are not Israel who descended from Israel? Verse 7 gives us context to what it's saying here in this little short statement. Nor are, are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants shall be named. So that's verses 6 and 7 in the NASB. As we get more towards the center, the Christian Standard Bible is about in the middle. In their translation philosophy, they sought to provide a middle ground between these two translations, or these two philosophies, to uh, try to have the best of both worlds in the best way possible. That says in verse 6, Now it is not as though the word of God has failed, because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. On the contrary, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. So you see that already reads better, and I didn't stumble over my words that time. They... uh, Change the placement of some of these clauses here, change the wording to make it flow better in English. So then all the way over at New Living, it uh, so, so you see on verse 6 at the end there, it says, because not our, all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So what does that mean? You're looking at that and have to make a a judgment call as to what that means and your interpretation of Scripture. It's not clear. It's kind of ambiguous in that wording, and that's how it's constructed in Greek. And if you were to have a word-for-word translation, if you will, and again, we covered yesterday that even if you were to have a word-for-word translation, um, it would be not good English. It wouldn't be readable English at all, because the uh, 
the ordering of the words and the uh, just the different things about the language of Greek would make it unreadable English. So that's kind of a unicorn that we can't actually have. But nonetheless, there is some good in this to preserve the some of the nuances in Greek that you can't preserve in English. So, But you see there in the CSB, it's kind of splitting it down the middle in the sense of it's a little more readable, but yet we still have this problem here in verse 6, because not all, all who are descended from Israel are Israel. So then let's go over to the New Living Translation, and this is what they say. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No, for not all, not all excuse me, who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scriptures say, Isaac is the one through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. So you see clearly, this is a very different wording from the NASB and the CSB. And, but that doesn't automatically mean it's a bad translation. We, we might think that it's more exact or more uh, to the point to go towards the NASB and to get as close to the Greek as possible. But we see in New Living a, very, a, a more narrow understanding of the meaning of the passage than the NASB. You'd think it'd be the other way around. But we see in the NASB, it leaves it, it, leaves it more... Uh, excuse me, a little more out there, less uh, obvious in the English language than the New Living does. So what the New Living seeks to do then with this dynamic equivalence is they'll see the Greek words there, but the, the end goal is not necessarily to make every word, every individual word say an individual thing in the English language. Because they realize not, that's not, not how English works. So they, they take this reading of the NASB for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel or the CSB because not all who are descended from Israel are Israel and just say what it's saying, especially in the context of verse or verse seven, rather, neither is it that the case, neither is it the case that all of Abraham's children are his descendants. So it's saying here, and it draws that into verse six in the new living. And it says, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. So you kind of have to do a trade-off in these. And that's how, why we keep saying yesterday that there's not a, you know, a silver bullet translation, because really the, there is merit in preserving the English or the, the Greek construction here. Not all who who are descended from Israel are Israel. Obviously, you're getting an allusion strongly back to the Old Testament and this theology and the, theological point that the writer is trying to make here is that there's Israel who are you know, descendants of physically of Israel, but those aren't all truly Israel, that Israel is truly Christ's people and all who are in Christ by faith. So, that is in there, and that's not present in the New Living, but rather we get the meaning more so in the New Living when it says, no, for not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. It doesn't necessarily have the uh, the illusions or the, the theme that comes as easily, but it says it more outright. Another um, Another example where this is true is in uh, 2 Corinthians 6. So let's go here, and this is a uh, you see here, if you're looking on the screen, the Bible.org. Uh, I think that's where you can find it, just the Bible.org. And um, 
it's a great tool just to see these back and forth uh, from your phone or from a computer like I'm doing right now. But let's go to 2 Corinthians 6. And this is uh, what verse 1 and 2 say. Let's start in the ESV this time. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 says this, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So you can kind of see here again where the, and this is more uh, places right to the right of the NASB of it takes just, again, it's kind of a false, uh, you know, comparison on some levels to say that NASB sticks the closest to the Greek and the NLT sticks closest to English. And that's a simplification because all of these are very fluid and language is fluid as we've, as we've said, but you can see here in the NA or the ESV that I read just now that when it says favorable time, you can see that that's not really what we would say in English, especially today when this was written. You could see little hints like that, that they are trying to stick closer to a the, the Greek model and the Greek uh, language there to give a representation of what was in the original text. And again, oftentimes that's very favorable, if you will, but uh, it's there, and that's what you trade off. Whereas in the NIV this time, we'll go there. Well, even then in the NIV in verse 2, 4, he says, In the time of favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor, now is the day of salvation. And in the NLT, it says this, As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. So again, we see differences here, and generally, they are on the grounds of English versus Greek. And even the NLT might be taking it a little too far here, especially in verse 1. It says, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. Even uh, the NIV says, as God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. So there's a lot more nuance to that that you lose in the NLT, and that's not exactly obvious that the writer is thrusting towards ignoring it. You know, that's very strong. So again, we see that for better or for worse, and it depends on the passage, really, and this is all uh, levels of nuance. One's not wrong and one's not right inherently. But we see, really, it dispels the notion that the NASB is a safer, if you will, um, translation just because. Um, because even when, then, I'll read the, what the NASB says here in 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. It says, And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At a favorable, favorable time I listened to you, and on a day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. So even with that, you seeing that you see in English, that is a less precise way to say it, for better or for worse. It's more precise when it comes to what the Greek says, but in English, that is a little more um, ambiguous, whereas the NLT leans towards being exact in the English language, um, at the expense of uh, the Greek construct there. So let's move on to another thing, because the NASB is not without interpretation either. 
we, uh, we look at the Old Testament here, and I'm looking up Daniel chapter 7. And this is a big, in the, in the prophecy of Daniel in the book that is, let's scroll down here to verse 14. So, and this is alluded to in the New Testament and Revelation as well. Let's read the, uh, what have we not read yet? The King James. Let's read the King James. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So there's that. The main point in here, let's, let's look at that word languages here, that all people, nations, and languages. You, you remember in the book of Revelation that every tongue, tribe, and nation uh, should serve him, and that's an allusion back to this. So that's where kind of the trouble lies here. We're going to see a difference in all of these translations. The the word in the Greek means quite, or well, Hebrew, this is written in Hebrew, but quite literally tongue. So there could be multiple ways that this can be translated. Are we talking about tongues as in the amount of physical tongues, tongues as in people, or are we talking tongues as in languages? So the NASB actually translates this differently. It says, so that all peoples, nations, and populations of all languages might serve him. They kind of uh, try to go both ways there. And you see, that's not really clear in English, but they do make that interpretive decision, nonetheless, to say populations, to kind of go both ways and say that this could uh, mean both things. ESV says languages should serve him, languages, uh, language in the CSB. NIV says um, Peoples of every language worshipped him. And the NLT says um, race, nation, and language. So, uh, But there's a conversation there to be had, even in these things, that we can't pretend, even though the uh, when you get towards more of a dynamic equivalence, they make more interpretive decisions, if you will, towards making it clear in English, and that requires more liberties with the original language. And again, not in a bad way. We're just getting to the meaning of what's being said in the Greek, and that is said differently in English. But how differently? That's the thing. So even in the NASB, though, when we're sticking close to the Greek, we have to admit, wherever we are, translation, you have to make interpretive decisions either way. And it's not better that you're making less interpretive decisions. And we see that in the NASB here. They're forced to kind of take a side here. When it says tongue, what does it mean? And they lean populations of all languages. So finally, let's look in Hebrews 3, and this is where we'll end today just with this exercise. Just for further illustration of the differences between these translations. So, verse 1 says, and let's go from the CSB again. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Whereas the NASB says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. So you see here, there's a different, this is a good illustration of the construction in Greek. You see here in the NASB, they, they find it necessary here to, to have multiple clauses in the middle of the sentence here. And that doesn't necessarily flow well in English for, for reference in the NLT. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God are partners with those called to heaven. And that does that there too. But, but, um, 
this isn't the case in, in everything, but it says, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling. And the Greek puts it there. So really that's a, a, a look at what, um, you know, what is present there in the Greek language and how the structure is being laid out. And that's, that's very obvious, especially as you look into books like Romans and um, different gospels, it'll be it'll be clear. But Paul's writings, even in the Greek, there's a lot of uh, run-on sentences in English, and in Greek, it works to have a bunch of and this and this, uh, big long sentences. But obviously, that doesn't work in English. You wouldn't get a good grade on your uh, on your paper in school if you had one big run-on sentence. So you have to uh, chop things up, leave things here and there, as in terms of those and this and this, in order to come up with a good. Um, translation. Another big thing here is the word um, partakers. So it says in the NASB, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus. And the NLT says, and so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God and are partners with those called to heaven. So we see that. But finally, the biggest thing here is the word holy. How do you translate the word holy? All of these translations except the NLT, and again, this is just another example. They're all uh, different and have uh, different ways they do different things, but I think this is a good example of where you might get a different translation philosophy that says the same thing for different reasons. So it says, holy brothers and sisters, partakers of a heavenly calling. And that says that in the ESV, KJV, CSB, and NIV, holy And then in the NLT, it says, so dear brothers and sisters who belong to God. So they're saying here that instead of translate, so there's one word, obviously, in Greek that's translated holy. But they're saying, and their assertion is, in the English, it's clearer in the English language to see that word holy and to translate it as who belong to God, are separate because they belong to God. Whether that's for better or for worse, that is... uh, Well, not necessarily up for you to decide, but I hope I can give you a good picture here of the differences in these things and why these are different. Once again, there is no no bad way to do this in terms of the the process in which they get to their end result. From the NASB, ESV, KJV, all of these translations that we're looking at on the screen here, These are translated by people who love God, hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, are orthodox in their theology, and want to do right by the English language um, and believers today. So it's not a matter of being better than one another or worse. It's just for different purposes. So, for instance, in the NLT, this this is going to be better... objectly better for those who are newer to the English language and for when you just want to see see what smart people know about the Bible, you know, because you're not going to see holy in there in this verse who belong to God. You're going to get other very specific um, translation choices in here, and they're not... Um, they're not a matter of being a Christian and being not a Christian. There's nowhere in, especially a new living, but even the NIV gets gets hated on a lot. There's nothing in there that's going to intentionally draw you away from the gospel or draw you away 
from God and Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's not going to uh, happen. And really, I hope I can convince you by this discussion that there is merit to reading from a lot of translations. It's fun to look at one translation, see what it what it's saying, and then see how a different translation says the same thing. Because there is this never-ending struggle in language in general and in translation to um, to read the, the, the Greek language and see all that it's saying in Greek, and then to go to English and try and keep that exact same nuance and exact meaning in the English. And really, that's why someone said once, translation is treason, because it's an impossible task. And that is why we have so many translations. So we can count ourselves, again, lucky and um, fortunate to have the translations that we do, and we shouldn't be scared away by any of them because they say or don't say a certain thing. So I thank you for joining me today. I hope this exercise has helped you to further understand the differences in the English translations. Again, if you have a question for the program or for me, you can email the show. Our emails are in the show notes. My email is andrew at fourfairfield.com. And Daniel's is Daniel at fourfairfield.com. And um, we're looking forward to, again, seeing you on Monday and to digging into the scriptures more with you. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.